thanks for joining us again. Back for a bit of a bumper episode, Jared. This one is a, a screener we received from Universal Pictures with regards to a film that has yet to be released here. It's called Come Play, and it was released in the US last year, but it has yet to be released in Australia. Um, so we're going we're gonna to dive right into that. But we've got the section with regards to what we've been watching, but we've also got a new little segment that we're going we're gonna to roll out. So hang tight while we go through what we're watching, and then we'll, we'll cover off on that. So, Jared, what have you been watching recently? Short and sharp, mate. Most of my time has been uh, spent on working through the office. I've been uh, going back and working my way through that. Other than that, I watched a little bit of TV. I watched a uh, Netflix doco on the Malice in the Palace. Being a basketball fan, oh, obviously that it? one grabbed my grabbed my eye. It was pretty good. It's pretty good. Most of this stuff we had heard, but they talked to quite a few players, including one of the Detroit fans, who's an absolute fucking dildo. Comes out as the biggest dickhead in the whole piece. Whereas people like Ron Artest, I'm sorry, Ron, what's his name now? Meta, Meta Sandiford Artest. He, um, what? Is that his fucking name now? It was Meta World Peace last time. Yeah, time, no, remember? so he's changed it back to Artest, but also took his wife's name. So it's Meta Sandiford Artest now, I believe. He actually comes across as, I mean, you actually feel some empathy for what the guy was going through because he clearly, throughout his entire NBA career, had pretty hefty mental issues. Yeah. And he talks about how he was trying to deal with them. And then, I mean, they, they, they bring up the fact that it's kind of got lost, but they bring up the fact, which was kind of uh, amusing at the time, he actually asked for time off at the start of the season. Yeah. Because he he was just what, not, in the, not in a good place, not enjoying it. He actually wanted to file his retirement papers. So it's interesting to go back and see it from that yeah. angle. Like, I, I remember watching, I, I remember actually watching the game. I was tuned into that game. That day, and that team was was bloody good. They were they were going to be very very tough to beat. So it was a bit of a bit of a shame for for some of the players involved. But yeah, pretty good doco. Yeah, is it a full? It's a full length doco, or is no? It so it's it's short? it's an episodic thing. So I think it goes for just over an hour. And the second episode is actually out now. It's it's I think it's mostly revolving around sports stories. So. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The second episode is I'm a looking forward to that. Actually. Yeah, second episode is a female boxer that I'm not totally familiar with, but um, I think I'll check it out based yeah. on the first one. I watched the second part of Batman: The Long Halloween, which is the latest DC animated. They they split that. It's a fairly famous sort of story arc. They split that into two. Pretty solid. Pretty solid. They've they've made a habit of changing the twists or the the familiar elements of some of these stories like this is this is uh, a number of times they've done it now so so you're not getting the same stuff that you already know no so you're getting very familiar stories very familiar scenes but they throw a real curveball at you involving you know the long halloween is is essentially kind of a who done it like a murder mystery so they throw some real curveballs at you while retaining some of the other elements that are you know things that you're expecting so yeah, I thought I thought this was pretty enjoyable, pretty well done. Bit of a different animation style, but I, I always tend to enjoy these DC animated pictures. They they do a pretty good job of those. The other one I went back to Adam is the Final Girls. They put it back on Netflix, and I'd been itching to watch it again, so I went back to that. How was it on second view? Yeah, look, it's I probably didn't like it as much this time around, but it's a really good good concept. 
a really solid cast of players, like a lot of people that have probably gone on to be more famous. Well, not probably. I've definitely gone on to be more famous since this was made. And generally, like the 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 players are pretty pretty strong. Like Tessa Farmiga is mm. also a very good actress, much like her sister. So having having those kind yeah. of pieces in place always helps. And it it's uh, it nails a couple of parts of it. Like there's some really strong parts around a couple of the characters. The ending's pretty pretty nice. And Adam Devine is I don't think I've ever found the bloke funnier. So I think he was uh, he was the yeah, he's good in that. He was the, the shining light of the the piece. But yeah, it was interesting to go back to. And the last thing I watched Adam uh, segueing into yours is I I told you about this a couple of weeks ago and told you get on it. And so the day that it dropped here in Australia, I jumped on heels immediately. Yes, yes. And quite enjoyed it. Obviously, Stephen Amell's got a um, bit of a history with, with the wrestling. He's, he's showed up in a couple of promotions and done a couple of matches and things like that. So I feel like this is a really good show for him because he's got a bit of a history with it mm. and probably has a little bit of knowledge of the inner workings. But, yeah, so far so good. I really – I think it's just a, a nice – Nice setting for a for a bit of a drama piece that we haven't really seen before. I mean, you, the things you're going to see are pretty familiar. You can see the sibling rivalry. You can see, you know, a bit of the the people that were in the town that have left the town or gone on to bigger things and all this sort of stuff. They're they're not necessarily things we haven't seen before, but I, I'm loving the fact that they're going to do it in this little wrestling promotion kind of setting. Yeah, rather than doing it in like a big ticket. Promotion, or you know, part of you know that type of thing. I really liked it. I thought it was really, really well handled, um, and I really dug the small town, small wrestling promotion environment. Mm. And I thought they did a really, really good job with it. As I said to you, one of my one of my favourite parts was Chris Bauer sort of channeling. He looked to be going a little bit of Jake the Snake Roberts with a little bit of Macho Man Randy Savage. I was loving it. Yeah. He's rocking around in leather pants and a big mustache. <laughs> Trying the mustache, a little bit of Rick Rude. <laughs> and Ricky Rude in there. <laughs> yeah, I was loving his work. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Was his name Richard Rude? It <laughs> was Rude with a spelt differently. Yes. Is that correct? Yes, correct. A little bit like uh, Rick Fleer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, look, I enjoyed it a fucking heap. Um, and I thought the ending was excellent. The ending of the first episode was really cool because I actually expected something different. I think you'll find it was Richard Rude, but it was spelled R-O-O-D, Adam. So, I mean, he's – he was, that was a natural fit for him. Rick Rude. Loved it. <laughs> His name from Rick Rude to Rick Rude. <laughs> Jesus, great Christ. stuff. Uh, good on you, good on you, Rick. Did you have anything else? No, that was it, mate. I was like I said, most of my time was on the office. I was just punching out, you know, most of the episodes of twenty minutes. So I was just knocking out episodes of the office left and right. And how's it going down so far? Oh, it's awesome. It's such a good show. I did a, I did about four seasons worth, and then I fell off it. Yeah, well, I'm in I'm in the thick of season four at the moment. I'm towards the end of season four, but yeah, it's just excellent. I mean, the the players are so good. They're like 
Michael Scott is just such a classic character. Like the fact that he never really learns any sort of sense of fucking humility or self-awareness or anything through the series is just hilarious. <laughs> I'm also my second favorite character is is actually Creed. I love Creed's uh, yes. input. Every time Creed's rocking up, he's always bloody stealing something or running a scam. Or <laughs> there was uh, was it a Christmas episode where he, he gives Jim a shirt and Jim puts it on and kind of goes. Uh, it seems to me that Creed forgot that uh, we were giving presents today, so he quickly pulled the shirt out of his cupboard and gave that as a present. Then they cut to Creed, and he's there going, <laughs> yep, that's exactly how it happened. <laughs> it just kind of, that sort of shit just tickles me. I'm absolutely loving his form. <laughs> I bet you did. All right, so I have a pretty extensive list. We There was obviously a Friday the 13th this August. Mm-hmm. So... I jumped. I watched Friday the Thirteenth Part Two and Friday the Thirteenth Part Eight. Oh. Mm. <laughs> Don't ask me why I watched Part Eight. Yeah, you've gone. You've gone fifty percent uh, strike rate there. Yeah, I, look, I went champagne to shit, basically. <laughs> yeah. Uh, look, and I'll say it again. Part Eight is fucking terrible. Like <laughs> it. It is. It, it would be right at the bottom. I think I may have put it at the bottom. Yeah. When we did our damn enchiladas, because it, it looks like a TV movie. It's fucking <laughs> awful. And yet it's, it was higher, more higher budgeted than 90% of the other ones. Mm. I can't understand it. I think it might have something to do with the director. He came out of television, so that was very much that look. Uh, I watched one on Netflix that dropped, and I'd been looking for it for ages, um, and I wasn't prepared to pay for it, Jared. Mm. It was called The Possession of Hannah Grace. Mm-hmm. And it was on Netflix, and it was a tidy little supernatural type of possession film. Right, um, I enjoyed it a lot, and it only went for, it went for a very brisk eighty five minutes. You know, it didn't overstay its welcome. Uh, and it's kind of like set in a morgue where this young she used to be a cop, but she washed out of it and had drug problems, and she was it was her first job back. She was just doing morgue duty, mm-hmm. and taking in bodies and that. And then a body turns up that's sort of, you know, she starts looking at it and real, investigating it a little bit and realises that it's not somebody that's recently died, basically. So, look, it turned out to be a pretty tidy little thriller. I would I would recommend. All right, okay. I will not recommend my next watch, which was The Doorman, mm. which was on stand. I have heard a little of, a little about this. Don't ask me why I looked at this. I have no idea. I was just wandering through Stan and I just saw it and thought, I wonder what this is like. It was shocking. (laughs) Firstly, it's a woman, not a man, so doorman is fucking, I don't know, obsolete, (laughs) essentially. But it's basically like Die Hard. Mm. She's ex-military. She's come back from Afghanistan. She gets a job just as a door, a doorman in a, a an apartment building that's being kind of closed down, and then Jean Renault and his crew of goons turn up to because there's supposedly some art in one of the the rooms that is you know quite priceless, and then of course she's she's loose in the building, mm-hmm. and I I believe I sent you a message when I watched this, Jared, and look. I know that this is a cheap knockoff, but it just fucking proves just 
the, to make Die Hard as good as it is, you need everything to come together. You need all the right pieces mm. in the right amount because this is just fucking crap. <laughs> just crap. Yeah. I mean, there's not even action sequences that you can hang your hat on a bit, you know? Good Lord. Yeah, but I don't Jared, think, I would I don't I would think I'll be you, jumping. I'd, just, I'd say to you, quickly. view it. <laughs> What's that? You've, I've got to watch it. <laughs> I think a bloke like you, you should watch it. No. Your time's not precious, mate. <laughs> well, my time is precious, but I still haven't figured out how to how to spend it correctly. <laughs> <laughs> now you're in lockdown, you can watch fucking anything. <laughs> and not feel guilty about it. Yeah, fair point. I'm not sure I'm going to watch it, though. No, past that one, it was fucking awful. I watched the first episode of Cocaine Cowboys. Mm-hmm. That doco on Netflix. Yep. Meh. Again, it was pretty good, but it just sort of felt like glorification of assholes. Mm. Yeah, these guys were peddling fucking cocaine. You know, they're not cool guys. They're fuckwits. But we, we, we'll sort of glorify them. They were, they were sort of, you know, they were outlaws and, you know, they, 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 uh, it's just I, I, maybe I've gotten a bit over that shit. Of glorification of this sort of stuff. Yeah, I remember the first uh, first two of those. Yeah, they, they were they, better because they were singular docos. Yeah, they. I felt they weren't too bad, but yeah, you're right. It's it's a fine line, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to know about who these guys were. They were fucking crims. Hmm. I went. I got back to Walker, Jared. Of course you did. It was never in doubt. Episodes ten and eleven. Just uh, remind me why I'm watching it again. Well, you know, because <laughs> it's you just can't look away, mate. You just can't look away from from what they're sort of putting together. It's just a, it's just a, a, a it's a crowd favourite. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, maybe I'm a Padlecki fan. I think you are. I think you like the balance that he brings to the. To the piece, you know, you, you, you're looking, he's simmering with rage, but he's still also able to, you know, be a, a doting father smolder. when he needs to. And, <laughs> and smolder when he has to. That's right. Is that what you reckon? Yeah, I think. You reckon I'm a Padlecki completist? I think you are. Look, he's, a, in all seriousness, the guy is a likeable lead in, in the series. Yes. Um, yes. But the series as a whole, it does stink a little bit of that CW formula. And there's some sometimes the the um, subplots and whatever are like not interesting. Like, I don't want to know about his daughter's high school soccer career. I don't give a shit about that. <laughs> I, like I don't mind the family family dynamics, but I can do without the soccer. Yeah, I can also probably look. I don't like to say this because I like you. I like Padlecki, and I think he's likable, and I think the show kind of probably has a bit more mileage. If, if it was someone else who was less charismatic, you'd probably have bigger problems selling it, mm. right? And I don't mind the rest of the cast, to be honest. Yeah. I actually think his, the, brother, the brother is fine. Uh, I, I actually like the, his partner yep. and, and the dynamic she's got with her boyfriend. I don't know. I can't remember the, the girl's name who played the bar, bar lady. Yeah. 
who was friends. She's also pretty good. Mm-hmm. You know, there's good actors. Mitch Pelegi is obviously there. So there's good actors. The problem that I've got is not much happens in these two episodes I've just watched. And, you know, I, you knew what you were getting from Norris. You know, the moment someone spoke out of turn, they got the fucking shit kicked out of them. <laughs> yeah, I need a little bit of that. I need Walker to start firing up occasionally. Yeah. We can have the family drama, but at the end of the day, there is some. St- there's still some shady players in the background that have to be dealt with, and I think Walker's the man to do it. Correct. I mean, you look sideways at Norris and you get a swift kick in the balls. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, I know, mean, he'd I do it even if, you, what you were getting. even if he thought you were about to look sideways. He'd do it and then, you know, if you said, what did you do that for, he'd quickly apologise and we'd move on. But, no, we're not getting any of that. Yeah. That's right. He was a strike first and then apologised later. But nine, <laughs> nine times out of ten, he was correct. You, know, you were a scumbag. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I, look, I'm sticking with Walker. I've decided I'll get back on it while I'm locked in lockdown. So expect more Walker updates. And just you know, on a on a side note, I think I mentioned this to you, but my parents needed a little bit of uh, assistance technologically when they changed their TV over. So I had to come in and put all their Netflix and Stan and everything back on it. I was signed into Stan, and bugger me if there's not 15 episodes of Walker having been watched. I said, who's been, who's been watching this? And my mum turns around and goes, oh, Walker, I love that show. <laughs> right, eh? Did you say to her, did you say to her, there's 150 episodes of Chuck Norris as well? Yeah. No, you I just turned around and with. said, of course you do. Everyone loves Walker. <laughs> I finally got onto some Joe Bob, Jared, mm. after you know, hearing your thoughts on him. So I actually watched one that was the full package. It was him and the film all sort of done up together. Mm-hmm. And the film was Hackerland. <laughs> Good choice. <laughs> shit, I can't even say that shit without laughing. <laughs> I mean, this movie was inept <laughs> in all facets. <laughs> but Joe Bob coming in and giving us a little bit of background it just kind of, you understood why it was, a, it was inept. Yeah. You know, the director was an Indian. He, he didn't speak much in English. You know, one of the actors said he, he basically couldn't, he said because he couldn't understand the director, he wasn't sure if he was a devil, devil worshipper or a hero. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> I can tell you, he was a fucking devil worshipper. <laughs> No doubt about it. <laughs> and this is what you get. But, this is what you get from Joe Bob. He, he he balances like his little rants are are usually you know very funny, but then he also goes very deep in figuring out you know who's who, where you've seen these actors before, mm. how it all came together, which which definitely adds to the whole experience. Definitely. Um, if Joe Bob hadn't been on it, I would have turned it off after ten minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, sorry, after the first two minutes where an old creepy grandpa talks to a little boy, I was like, oh, fuck, what am I watching? Uh, I, haven't, I haven't watched that but one yet, so I'm going to get straight on it. The force, I forced my way through it. And I finished the, the week with Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Mm. 
Uh, I watched that off Binge. Yep. Look, that was pretty handy. Yeah, I've actually got the Blu-ray sitting there uh, waiting to be watched and I haven't uh, knocked it over yet. Yeah, look, it was pretty good. It ran a little long, but it did have that vibe of because it was set in the 1960s and it kind of felt like anthology even though it wasn't. Mm-hmm. It just kind of had that anthology feel of something like Creepshow. And for the most part, look, I wouldn't say it was like stress poo inducing. Scare wise, <laughs> more, more, more just a loud fart. <laughs> so, <sorry. Yeah. laughs> but it was pretty good all round. Mm. Uh, and I think it was directed by the same bloke who directed The Autopsy of Jane Doe. Yes. Which was another one that I really liked. Yeah, that was good, actually. Yeah, so definitely worth your time. Check out. What's his uh, name? Andre Overdahl? Is that him? That's, that's correct, yep. And the last one, Jared, I went back to one that I said that I hated and I reappraise, which is sort of what we'll be doing in the next se- uh, segment. Yes, of I course. I watched Black Christmas. Mm. The remake. Black Christmas the latest 2018. Remake. Yes. Yep. I applaud the ideas and I applaud where they were going with it. And I've, I'm a big fan of Imogen Poots, mm-hmm. so I think. And the rest of the cast is really good. But it's just once you get to the ending, I just, I couldn't swallow it. I, I just, it, it, once again, it just made me think, if you would have gone down a straight down the line slasher with the overtures of what they had, the whole um, frat boy rape culture and all that stuff, it still would have been a really, I think, an, an interesting slasher. Mm-hmm. But to trot out that shit at the end, I was just like, fuck. And Carrie, Carrie Ells, he is getting worse as an actor. <laughs> he is. Oh, dear. He's just, you know that he's dicey from the minute he comes on screen. Yeah. <laughs> I believe in a, he's in, um, he, he plays a villain in uh, Kiss the Girls. Mm. As well, and I remember watching that. And the moment he came on screen, I was like, eh, "Something's up with him." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I and think. Bugger me! Yes, it was. I've got to go back and have another look at that. But I think you, yeah, you pretty much nailed it. There was there were certainly things I liked about it, but there was a couple of parts that missed yeah. the mark completely. And I think the biggest issue for me, or or one of the biggest issues, was there was just the kills were. I don't know what happened, but it was like watching a watching a TV movie or something where they couldn't show any any sort of violence at all. Yeah, they 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 they, they paired it back, but I still think it would have been a really interesting film even if it had been a straight-down-the-line slasher. And, in fact, you could have played out something really interesting as to who did it and their motivations. Mm. But the, the, the idea that the fucking frat bloody possesses you or some bullshit that's coming out of some bust, come on. It was very over-the-top saying this is a toxic culture, basically. It's just, you know, this has been fucking... Yeah passed down for generations and you could see that that's what they were going for but yeah you're probably right it didn't it didn't really uh didn't really hit the mark completely the interesting thing was they'd already established the toxic culture they'd already proved that that sort of culture is toxic 
Yeah. And they'd done it reasonably efficiently in the early phase mm. of the film. They'd efficiently sort of ex- explained that these guys, they do this shit, they do these fucking terrible things out of sort of like a sense of entitlement. Mm. Uh, and, and I thought, I really thought that was interesting, you know, and I, there was, some, there was a couple of really interesting dialogue exchanges that I found, especially the one where one of the blokes actually, the, the bloke who's in their group, actually fires up and starts saying, we're not all like them, you know, I'm not a fucking rapist. And, and, and then they have an argument about that. And I thought that was intriguing stuff. Mm. You know, it was worth pursuing. But then, then you've got fucking five different killers who are all fucking possessed. <laughs> well, what are you doing? Mm. Yeah, so I got, I get, I get the message. I get the message that they were going for, and like you said, I thought the idea was. I, I'm, I'm very open to interesting ideas like that being played out, and as we spoke about at the time, Blumhouse is is noted for that. They're going to try those things, but this one certainly didn't quite hit the mark as as they wanted to. Even though the messages were were pretty clear, and and I feel like same as you, I feel like yeah, that's that's uh, worthwhile exploring. But it just didn't quite didn't quite land. Yeah, and the good thing too was it was being explored by it was a female director, a female screenwriter. Yeah, it was being explored in the right way, not a couple of males who were you know trying to shape it in this in this format. So they had everything in the right place for me. And for a while there, for about forty minutes, I'm thinking, look, it's actually a lot better than I thought. Yeah. But then when we start to find out what's going on, it just fucking falls apart, mm. which was disappointing because I actually had a little bit of higher hopes as, as, the, as the film started. But look, that's it for me. All right, fresh segment. We're calling this segment, Is It Better Than We Thought? Okay. Now, we're going to pick a film that we've previously reviewed and we're going to give a nut. We've, we've re-watched it. And we're going to do a sort of capsule reappraisal of whether the movie's better than we initially scored it. Now, the film we're going to cover is 1981's rural slasher Madman. Now, in the initial time we did it, Jared, I gave it half a star. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I believe you dished out a one star. Mm-hmm. I think that's right. The film. Now. Now, we have both reviewed this film again, and we'll give you just five or ten minutes of talk about what we, <laughs> how we saw it on the second occasion. Now, I've, I've, I've gone ahead and gone very briefly into pros and cons mm-hmm. with my stuff. Yeah, I didn't go, um, I didn't go that far, but I did, yeah, I mentioned a couple of, I've got a couple of things to talk about, I guess. Look. First things first, Max, the camp guy, the guy who's telling the story at the campground, he looks fucking suspiciously like Mars. I was about to say the same thing. I feel like that he was seemed to be like Mars's kind of uh, well-educated um, uh, silver spoon-fed <laughs> brother. <laughs> yeah, they looked identical. Separated at birth. <laughs> I know. It was, it was kind of, especially in the firelight. Yeah. So that could have been the end end twist, Jared. It could have been that that uh, there was no Mars. It was actually Max, <laughs> Madman Max. I think that would have been <laughs> yes. 
Yeah, that would have been kind of funny. He is an interesting, like he's funny to watch, but only because again the, the dialogue and everything is ridiculous. I mean, this bloke's running a summer camp, and it takes one of the counselors to say, "Hey, um, maybe we shouldn't tell these stories to the kids." And he kind of goes, "Hmm, I hadn't considered that." And I'm just like, "And you, like, you, you run a camp for kids for gifted children? You hadn't? You had that. not considered telling a story." Not not a fucking story, a local legend about a bloke who chopped up his children <laughs> and then was hung <laughs> to a group of kids aged between about 10 and 15? Yeah. What are you fucking on? <laughs> Jesus. Oh, dear. Yeah, I Christ. think uh, it, it was... It was... Uh, Pretty, I don't know. I just, I think he's just a product of what I felt was just the the people that put it together. I don't think they they bothered with writing anything other than the kills. No, no, I don't think so. Look, as Joe Bob wisely pointed out, because he has he has done this film. Yep. Um, as part of his thing, and I actually went back and watched just Joe Bob talk about it, mm-hmm. so not not in conjunction with watching the film. As he pointed out, these guys they didn't know anything. There was no there was no rules for the final girl. There was no there was no template for slasher films at that time. Yeah, the movie was being made not long after Friday the Thirteenth had been released. Yeah, that's right. So ultimately, there was nothing to stick to. No, there was it was nothing to stick to in that regard. But I mean. Just in general, there's something to stick to about a, a, a bloody story, and this, the like every character just fucking meanders through the film. Yeah, yeah. No one has an arc unless you, you count TP telling his 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 girlfriend she's a pain in the ass or something down by the fire <laughs> and apologising at dinner <laughs> in front of everyone. You fucking dildo <laughs> in front of her. You wanker. <laughs> And then yeah. off they go to the hot tub, which <laughs> there is no worse sex scene in any slasher film. No. It's, it is the worst sex scene ever. It's right down there. <laughs> Absolutely. The, the thing that always makes me laugh is they do the whole, you know, they're circling each other and you've got that music in the mm. background and you see TP's bare ass and all that shit. <laughs> and then <laughs> Madman comes wandering out of the woods. And, and this is one of my least favourite things about Madman. All he ever does is go... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, as I said to you, there was a couple of moments that could have come out and been been quite suspenseful. We could have done a little bit of, a little bit of kind of Michael Myers-type work. But... Every time Madman's around, you hear the... It's just like, no, I don't think that worked. It sucks the life out of it. Yeah, it does. One thing I should give it a little bit of credit for, I think I said previously when we watched it, I did like the... I kind of like the design of of what Madman Mars looks like. I think there's a little bit of Texas Chainsaw. There's a little bit of what we sort of see later in Hills Have Eyes. And I didn't mind that so much, but 
the 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 effects and the makeup are a little bit shaky. Like when you see his hands and stuff, and you can see like there's shots of his face where you can yeah. just see it's just like bits of rubber and shit like that. Yeah. So that didn't turn out so well, and, and I will give it a, a a little bit of credit for for a handful of the kills. A couple of the kills are probably better than I recall, but yeah, I, I can't yeah. I, I can't find too many more pros. <laughs> a couple of the couple of the kills are all right. Um, I actually think the shot of him in the tree, yeah, is quite creepy. Yeah, it's pretty good. And the house that he lives in when that when Richie who. Biggest arsehole in the film wanders around it in the dark. It actually has a creepy vibe. Yeah. It has a sort of a Texas Chainsaw sort of vibe. It's all broken down and rotted, and I think that's kind of works. The problems are the acting is just fucking shocking. <laughs> like, yeah. Yep. It, the acting's awful, and you know I don't think these guys were seasoned. No, but it turned out all of them were using pseudonyms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Holy shit! Um, there's no character development, so we don't really get to know anyone. There's not even anyone that's interesting. I mean, even if you're not going to have any development, I keep coming back to Demon. I mean, he, there's no there's no yeah. arc to Demon. He's in the, he's in Friday the Thirteenth Part Five for about. Five minutes, but f- it's just watchable. It's just it's just fun, and there's just none of the characters here that are like this. I don't know. There's an arc to demon, isn't there, Jared? What? He's loving life, and they, eating, and he's eating got the fucking everything. <laughs> Suddenly he's got a case of trots. That's right. And he gets killed. Yeah, he gets a bit cranky. <laughs> he gets a bit cranky when he's on the toilet, as we find out. But yeah, um, well, who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? <laughs> we'll stop eating fucking <laughs> when you, five day old egg rolls, and you'll be all right. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't even refrigerated this thing. <laughs> According to David, you don't have to. <laughs> no, that's right. Enchiladas, good anytime. But I think, yeah, there's just I don't, it's not scary, and I think part of it is is Madman constantly being we're constantly tipped off to his presence. I don't know how he creeps up on anyone. <laughs> how anybody well, doesn't know he's there. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. They have all these sequences where there's one in particular that I told you about that I thought was really would have been really good, and was actually fairly competently shot. And it is a it is a shot of one of the counselors walking in the centre of the cabins, and the camera's way back behind the cabins, so she's in the foreground. So she's in the background. In the foreground is Madman, but he's in shadow. Yeah, he's moving with her. And I thought that's a fucking really good shot, but then all I hear is, rawr, rawr. <laughs> I'm like, holy shit! Like as if you don't hear the fucking bloke. <laughs> Just yeah, look left. There he is. Yeah, who's making that strange noise? <laughs> It's just, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't have a lot of time for it. In it's not all that scary. It's not all that memorable. As you said, it's got some of the worst examples of a the hot tub scene. That's that's what we're going oh. with for for the TNA or what we're supposed to be going with. Then we get the the woman hiding in the fridge. I mean, Jesus, like. As as Joe Bob said, I believe he said they're stupid and then they're slasher stupid. Like it's just <laughs> I like I like the fact that she gets a fucking head blown off with a shotgun. Oh, yeah, that was kind of 
again, it was a it was a maximum overdrive oh. steamroller moment. I burst out laughing again. I couldn't help it. But um, yeah, it was one other moment for me that I I chuckled heavily is when there's I don't even know who these characters was. He was sporting a bit of a mustache, and his missus is with him, right? I think it might have been the one who got in the fridge. And they get, they get in the car and they turn the ignition and it's after that girl's had her head cut off in the car. Like she's had her head cut off by the bonnet. Mm. And all you hear is, as he turns the ignition, <laughs> like yeah. flesh or something getting rotated. Yeah. So he gets out, he opens the, he opens the bonnet and he goes, oh, shit. And the other girl goes, <laughs> the girl goes, what is it? And he goes, don't come up here. Then he fucks off to get something. <laughs> she gets out, runs over, sees the head, bursts into screams. He want, he comes back with a towel or something. And then he picks the head up and just fucking tosses it in the bushes. Yeah, yeah. And when he when he made that noise, <laughs> she said, "What is it?" I thought he he was about to say, "Oh, I just had a bad edge of lava. That's what it looked like from his reaction. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know about you, but I'm saying, "Look, we're walking back. <laughs> Something under there is not good." <laughs> and I don't want to have a look. Yeah. Okay. Look, what would you give it? <laughs> I think. Uh, look, What's your reappraisal score? I'm unmoved. <laughs> I think we got to stop doing this. As I said, I had the discussion with you. I think this is about the fifth time. We need time. to do more of it, Jared. I think, I think this is about the fifth time I've seen Madman, and I, I don't like the movie in the least. <laughs> Yet, as we discussed, movies like Intruder and The Burning that we do like, I haven't, I've watched Madman more. <laughs> Why is that? I know. <laughs> I don't know. Glutton for punishment, perhaps? Possibly, possibly. I am also unmoved. It's garnered a reputation over the years that it is undeserved. Yeah. It it is not a good movie. I mean, I couldn't stop laughing at the end. Obviously, like, one of the things I like about Joe Bob is he he takes the piss when required, but he also... Hmm. He also does it lovingly and gives the, the movies their due. But at the he had the, this little section for a couple of minutes where he he kind of played his hand a little bit and said, you know, when you ask people why they like Mad Men, they keep telling you it's the poster or the video cover. Oh, Joe Bob, it's got a great poster. He's like, yeah, but that the poster gets you in to watch the film. Now that you've watched the film, why do you like Mad Men? <laughs> like, <laughs> That's correct. That is one hundred percent correct. Uh, and yeah, I'm unmoved on half a star, and you're still unmoved on one star. Unfortunately, a reappraisal of Mad Men has come out with exactly what I anticipated. Mm-hmm. It didn't get any better. No, so, I don't think unfortunate. So. But that is our new segment. We'll we'll roll that out on occasion. Uh, pick a few of our low scoring films and see how they play out. But. Let's take a break, and here's the trailer for 2020's Come Play. This is Larry. He just wants a friend. How's this communication been going? 
poor guy still doesn't have any friends. still gets to use his phone in class. He's autistic, dude. you know. Larry just wants a friend. Maybe we should stop breeding. Will you be Larry's friend? <laughs> he just wants a friend. Hello? This thing wants our son. A friend. He just wants a friend. Did you turn it on? Finish the story. He just wants a friend. play from 2020 written and directed by Jacob Chase this is actually his first feature film and it's based on a short film he did it's produced by Alex Heineman who produced Nonstop, and Andrew Rona who produced The Losers it stars A.J. Robertson as Oliver Gilliam Jacobs as Sarah John Gallagher Jr. as Marty and Winslow Fegley as Byron I couldn't find any budget information or trivia for this film and it has been released in the US and has grossed 13 million dollars all right Jared your thoughts on come play yeah so normally these sort of kind of I don't know I guess you you could put it in the ghost story sort of uh, category or that sort of thing I find them to be a little bit hit and miss. Like, I don't find too much middle ground. I, I either find them to be really good or sort of a little bit lacking. I was pleasantly surprised. I think it was, um, as you mentioned, you can see some influences from other things. For example, like when I saw some of the storybook elements, for example, I, there was a little bit of a Babadook vibe to that sort of thing. But I was actually really impressed early on with, with some of the scares, a couple of the, the, the jump scares and the and the the sense of kind of the, the spooky vibe that they're trying to establish. I felt that was pretty solid for the most part. Good good little cast of actors, some very likable faces that we've seen around. Obviously, we, we've got uh, the the girl that played um, C. Berman in 
in the Fear Street flicks. Uh, We've got the father who um, I've been um, pretty happy to see him ever since I saw him in 10 Cloverfield Lane. So I think that certainly helps. It probably towards the end, I felt like there was just, there was a, a a stretch where I felt like it lost a little bit of steam, didn't quite hold me throughout. But I, and I believe you're in the in the same boat here. I was pretty happy with with how it ended. I felt the ending pulled some kind of emotional emotional moments out, and mm. again, probably did did fairly well with the scares and the, and the tone that it was going for. So. Yeah, I'd be definitely happy to see more from from this uh, fella. What was his name? Jacob Chase. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if he he continues on. And yeah, I'd be happy to happy to see something more from him. So I think I ended up at a three. Okay. Look, I found it to be quite stylish, and it uses some neat tricks to kind of build upon a a story that I thought was quite interesting. It is derivative in places. It reminded me in parts of something like Lights Out. And there are some silly decisions made at points in the film. But overall, it kind of works quite well. And like you, yes, the ending has a poignancy to it that I was really happy with uh, and I felt was overall really, really well done. So I actually went for a three and a half. Mm. I think overall really well directed, pretty solid horror, th- horror thriller, and I think... From the perspective of Jacob Chase as a director, I think he he does some really good things here. So, yeah, I could certainly see him being someone to stay, keep an eye on um, in the future. Now, look, obviously this film has yet to be released uh, in certain territories, including Australia. So we are going to keep this spoiler-free, as spoiler-free as we possibly can. So we're going to have to avoid certain parts of it but, you know, we, we'll, we'll do our best to sort of give the best pros and cons we possibly can. To start with the likes, Jared, I think the idea of befriending the boy through the devices and all that kind of stuff was a solid setup for something like this. Yeah, I think there's definitely some places to go with that. And I, I think, yeah, as a setup, it, it wasn't such a bad idea. I mean, early on, there was a couple of times where some of the things that they were doing to to give you the sense that it was happening through the devices, I didn't like so much, but they kind of grew on me as it went. And I feel mm. like, yeah, this that, that setup in general is um, definitely got some places to go and is definitely a, a place to, to look at. And I think they... They touch on them pretty briefly, but they touch on a few angles. They don't go super deep with it. It's really focused more on the on the scares and, and the ghost story vibe to it. But, yeah, mm. I, I too thought that was a really, really neat little idea. Yeah, and I also think having a protagonist who's autistic was another different angle. Yeah, well, it. it gave... Um, especially the fact that he was non-verbal, it really worked well to set up some of the story points, you know, the way that he was communicating with the devices yeah. allowed it to bring some really creepy moments in through the communication back and forth. And it's touching on, yeah, this isolation that the, these sort of things can cause for, for people that that are in that situation. So. Again, yeah, I was I was happy yeah. happy to see that, and I, I was happy to see 
the time spent on that to to really work out what I felt was a pretty solid rendition of the, of the character. Yes, yes, agreed. The use of the gadgets, because he was non-verbal, we had a lot of technological things to use, and I felt they were used primarily pretty well with regards to how they were used in conjunction with Larry well, being there I th- and being able to see Larry. I think, as you said, there's, there's elements of it that we've seen before, particular things with filters on the screen and, and bits and pieces, yeah. but they were still done fairly well. Like, even when you're expecting them, they still were satisfying. So I actually thought that was a real strength, some of those some of those little scares that came through. As you said, I think it's pretty well directed because especially if you know or you have a sense of what's coming and it still works out for you, then that's a pretty good sign. Yes, yes, especially when it comes to jump scares and things like that is you, timing's a key, whether or not you're going to see it coming, when are you going to see it. I mean, they use things like the iPad. They use the talking phone that he has. Mm-hmm. They use that range finder. Yep. Which you see early on and then sort of comes back in, which I thought was a really, really cool sequence involving the range finder. Yeah. That worked out really well. Well, there was a couple of sequences. Um, one of my big likes was the way that they used that parking, the, the parking space in general. There was a couple of scenes there that were very effective. Oh, yeah, there's one in particular involving um, the newspapers. Yes. Flying around outside. That was really cool. Yeah, excellent. I really like that. I didn't even see – I didn't see that coming at all, and then I just look in the background. I'm like, hey. Yeah. So, you know, some surprises, which for blokes like us who have sat through a lot of this stuff, that's when I know I'm I'm sort of – I'm pretty impressed with a film like this when you can grab me. With a few of those things, yeah, because usually we've seen we've seen all this. Yep, you know we've seen all the conjurings and the lights outs and all these type of movies. You feel like there's nothing they can do to get you, but yet in this case he got me several times. Yeah, where because I didn't see it coming, and the way it was presented was in that perfect mixture of you shouldn't see it, and then you do in the background. And you're like, oh. God, you know. Yeah, and I so, think that's a, I think that's a strength for the over the first half of the movie, especially. Yes, definitely. I actually I like the family dynamic. I know. Speaking of, you know, we we're talking about things that we've seen before. The kind of the relationship between the parents and the motivation of you know doing anything for your kids or whatever. We've seen that a lot, but you know, having Gillian Jacobs and John Gallagher Jr. as the as the the parents, as I said, two actors that I'm pretty pretty happy to see. I thought mm-hmm. they both did a fairly good job. And the the young fella, I'm not sure his name, Azzy, Azzy Robertson, I think it is. Yes, yeah, that's it. Yeah, I think they, they worked out pretty well together. Yeah, yeah, look, and it's pretty well acted. Mm. Pretty well directed. It's certainly not a big budget film, but it's it's you know it's got a modest amount of money behind it, and I think it's used in a very effective manner, and and squeezes the best out of everything it's 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 putting on the screen. I actually like the look of Larry. Yeah, especially the imagery they use in some of the storybooks, the the little storybook yeah, that he's yeah. he's putting out there. I thought that was really good. A couple of bits where the effects, you know, when you see it a lot. 
Towards the end, yes, because it's overseen. Yeah, a couple of the, couple of the sequences, it, it it looked like it was pretty clear that there was computer effects being used. But overall, I think it was fairly well handled. The majority of the film, it's f- fairly well handled. And it, you know, like you said, the design is pretty creepy. There's definitely things that you can see, a little bit of Slender Man type look to it. Like, yeah, but yeah, I was pretty happy with it as well. But they actually direct it. It's directed in a way that, for the most part, it's kept out of the shots. Mm. You see fleeting glimpses of it, or you see small touches. You see its back, yeah, or you see a hand. You don't see it in full until right near the end. And yeah, look, it's not as effective then. Yeah, but for the most part, they keep it out of the light, light, and they kind of shoot around the edges of it. And I think that actually works really well. Mm. And I did like the way Larry kind of starts trying to tease the boy into being a friend, but then when that doesn't automatically happen, he starts to resort to nastier, nastier things. Yeah. You know, he starts saying things in the book that aren't nice. Yeah, and I mean... He starts off with, you know, I just want a friend. Look, there's definitely some real-world parallels that are fairly scary just to think about there. Yeah. But... As I said, I think that stuff works fairly well in general, knowing that they are paralleling with, with stuff, talking about the, the, some of the dangers of technology and whatnot. But, yeah, it was just one of those sort of creepy parts, especially when, you know, when the mother is becoming aware of it and, and it's being made clear to her that his intentions are pretty creepy, pretty scary. Yeah, totally. This is interesting because I've got a, really, I've got a dislike for the way not necessarily the way this is handled, but it's kind of a little bit over the top for my liking. But I do like the sequence, how he kind of reconnects with the young boy that is kind of bullying him. Yeah, I actually really like that. I mean, the sequence where they come together in, in a house is one of the better parts of yeah, the movie. Yeah, it's a really good sequence. Yeah, excellent yeah, sequence. Yeah. It was not a bad little approach that you, you saw initially you were just thinking, oh, right, we're going to have a, you know, the classic sort of bully character and whatever, but then they start to work through that and show that, no, there's actually more to it, that it's gone both ways. Yes. Um, which, was, which was, yeah, I thought that was, that was a nice relationship, nice bit of work to build those two and characters together. And it humanises him. Yeah. It humanises the bully character and gives us something to latch onto there mm. because we find out more of the story as it unpacks as to why they were no longer friends, you know, and you kind of get all that and you kind of understand it. Yeah. You sort of get an understanding of where it was going and it kind of humanises him and they bring him back, the the two of them back together. And, again, it plays into the whole storyline as a whole, but I thought that was a nice sequence where he comes up to him and talks to him at school and then eventually just sits down with him and... Yeah, and, and sort of sort through it. They start watching SpongeBob together. Yeah, I yeah. like that. I actually like the use of SpongeBob throughout to kind of put some of his feelings out there or to kind of, you know, played off against what's been going on with Larry. I thought that was actually quite quite good. Yeah, yeah. Agreed. They use it several times. Uh, and it, and it works well in, in most on most occasions. Mm. There's a sequence where we kind of see how Larry kind of communicates near the end through the television. Mm. 
which I thought was a really nice touch using the TV channels. Yeah, that was sort of, uh, it was, again, we've seen that sort of stuff with something like Bumblebee in the Transformers movies. Yes, yes. But again, pretty well used. It was fairly creepy that, you know, picking the sound bites that they do and piecing them together the way that they do does lend it this tone of, it's really kind of eerie when you're listening to it. Yeah. For some reason, it kept making me think of the the ransom note in Die Hard 4 with all the presidents. Mm. You know, they splice together all the presidents talking yeah. and delivering a ransom note, which, again, in that film, it was really well well done. And it's done exactly the same way here, but using TV channels. And I thought a really effective way because we Larry had sort of come he sort of started to come to the fore by that point. So mm-hmm. we were getting more from him. Yeah. Um, and that was a good way to kind of mix up his communication. Uh, so, yeah, again, I, th- I thought a really cool idea. Yeah, definitely. My last couple, couple of likes are obviously with regards to the ending. I'm basically just going to say I think the ending is a real winner. What happened throughout the ending sort of pulled it from being what I was, uh, as I said, I, th- I thought we, was, we felt like we were running out of steam and then the ending sort of pulled it back on its feet a little bit for me. Yeah. And circled everything back. That's, that's, the part, that's what I liked about it the most is it kind of closed some loops and I think it did it in a really, 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 really good way. Hmm. So, I mean, unfortunately, I can't go into it any further. So, as to say, it's, it's a real like for me. Yeah, I was, I was pretty happy with it. Did you have any other likes? No, that, that I think raise, we, we pretty much covered them. Obviously, as we said, we want to we sort of work around a little bit without going into it too much for the people that haven't been able to yeah, catch yeah. it yet. Okay, dislikes. I think that the, the ending brings a lot together. But early on, and, and maybe it's just that the ideas flesh out over time, but early on I felt like there was some really solid set pieces, but the connective tissue didn't seem to be really there. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely felt like it was working more on getting those jump scares together, and perhaps that's why it feels like it loses a bit of steam towards the end because we're trying to catch up some yeah. ground in that regard. But I would agree. I would agree there that they are. You're kind of satisfied with what's going on with the jump scares, but as you said, it leaves a little bit of of what's going on around it out. Yeah, and it's not bad. It's just that it feels like little vignettes. Yeah. We want to use this for a scare. We know how to settle that up. Mm. We know this. We want to use this as well. We've got three or four of them in a row, but now how do we connect all this? So there's look. it looked a little bit like that. The connective tissue wasn't there. But then as the second half of the movie kicks in, you get a bit of that exposition and that fallback and you kind of connect it all up, which works. But, again, the early phases, I'm thinking these set pieces are excellent, but I really don't know much about anything. <laughs> like, Yeah. I don't really know what's going on. I don't know a lot about it. Mm-hmm. So it's a minor thing, but it, it, it was there for me. The, again, I said before, the bullying kids, 
Like, their opening salvo is just so mean. Yeah, it's a little bit over like, the top. It's, too, it's, it's over the top mean. And maybe I'm wrong, mate. I don't have young children. And maybe this kind of shit goes on. Yeah, so... But I mean, it I, just seemed like too much. As, you know, I've, obviously I have my own children and I work in a field where you get to observe children and whatnot. I think it's... Uh, that sort of stuff does happen. I would think, you know, there are some mm. people that are a little bit mean-spirited in that regard at that age, but I think the thing for me is, like, you've roping in a bunch of people to do something to that level mm. maybe feels a little bit too too far. Yeah. There's, there could have been better ways, but, but I think what they were doing was setting up the whole situation where she the, the mother talks with the, the therapist. Yeah. Later. And so they're setting all that up. Yeah, the poor kid lost his phone and then he was just beside himself. You know, he didn't know where he was, he, you know. So I appreciate I, I kinda get the reasoning mm. for the the situation that occurs. But I felt it was just it too it, it felt too mean. Yeah, somewhat. I, you know, I, I certainly agree with you on parts of that, especially when, when we, yeah. as you said, we, you know, we mentioned that we're coming back to them later on. Yeah, and although that humanises the little boy, who's the sort of the ringleader, there's still a little bit of a nasty taste there. Yeah, you're not wrong. If if it have cut back a little bit on that. It would have been easier to. You wouldn't still have been thinking about it, connecting that up to it. No. Now, you know the whole idea that there's a couple of little things here, sort of decision making, for me. Yeah. And again, it's all a product of the the plot, so I understand why it's there. But I mean, you've got a young boy; he needs to make friends. You bring round the three kids who bullied him and there's information about a particular incident that went on. Yeah. That kind of split. I mean, yeah, they're not getting an invite to my place. Yeah, well, I was a bit the same, but I, I, it makes more sense when you find out what's going on later. But, yeah, like you said, there was a sure. little bit there where it's sort of, hang on a minute. <laughs> You don't invite these kids round. No. Like, I understand that they were they used to be close and there's obviously a situation there that un- un- unfolds and you find out about. But, you know, their last interaction was the young boy left him out in the fucking wilderness. Yeah. What, does no one know about that? That's how it seemed. No one knows about that. Yeah, it seemed like that's where it was going to me, like with the, the non-verbal angle that... He hadn't communicated that. Yes. Because his mother seemed unaware that, that that's why he'd lost his phone. Yeah, yeah. Here's a tip, Mum. Put find my de- put find my iPad on the fucking Find my iPhone, <laughs> on yeah. The, on the thing. On the thing. But also the way the character was set up, I kind of felt like he would tell his mum. Yeah, I I agree. I, I think you're probably right there. It just that that felt a little bit Unnatural. Yeah, yeah. A little bit contrived, a little bit sort of plot devicey. Yeah. But it 
at the end of the day, I, I understand why it was there. Yep. It just was maybe a little bit clunkily handled. Yeah, that, possibly. That might be more the, 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 the conversation to it. Mm. There's a, there's a decision regarding devices that the dad makes later on when he's got some fairly hefty information about it that I'm I'm questioning as well. But you know, a couple of little <laughs> things like that. Yeah. Look, my last like dislike was the way they come to the knowledge of it. The parents. I like the way it was done using the drawings, but they seem to jump to it pretty fast. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm not coming to those conclusions. No, probably not. That quickly. No. I probably need a little bit of cajoling yeah. over the fact that you're telling me there's a fucking monster in the in the devices. Cajoling? Fuck, I need you to tell me point blank and I still probably don't I still probably miss portions of it. Like <laughs> I still And I know that, that, that the the father had had an, a, a run in with Larry. Yeah. But still I'm putting that down to fucking, you know, I'm tired or something. It's not within this world, so I'm not going to just dive on it and say, yeah. Yeah, yeah I agree. it did feel like it came together pretty quickly in, in that sense. And it did, you know, as you said, they had to have their own experience, which which did happen, but then, yeah, they, they both very quickly go straight to that. Yeah, like, like they jump to it quickly and then do immediately kind of get on side. Whereas yeah. I would have felt maybe there might have been a few opportunities where he tried to explain. Yeah. Yeah, probably. And I also had a slight issue with what I felt it was a little bit of inconsistency about what Larry could and couldn't do at certain points. Like it feels like there's supposed to be yeah. a reach that he has, but it's limited, but it doesn't seem to be limited. And then... As no. they sort of continue on, he basically, yeah, they, as you said, they, they they put it together pretty quickly and find out why he can do what he can do, but there's still things that they don't address, and so there was a little bit of a little bit of problems around that, which probably lines up with what you're saying about some of the decisions that are made in general. Yeah. A little bit of, you know, they weren't they didn't ruin the experience for me, but a couple of times I was kind of like, hang on, let's why don't we do this or why don't we do that? Like it seems pretty. Pretty plain. Yes, agreed. Well, did you have any other dislikes? No, I mentioned the effects. Like when when you see the creature a couple of times, pretty clearly, it's not all that all that well done. I don't feel, but like you mentioned, they try to avoid that as much as they can. I think that seems maybe it was a, a budget issue that they dealt with as best as they could. So again, didn't yep. didn't ruin things for me. Just felt like perhaps we could have done, maybe even keep it even more in shadow and whatnot for longer. Yeah, I agree. It wasn't as effective when you saw it up close uh, on a couple of occasions. So I was happy with how they handled it for the most part. Mm. But yeah, I, I I didn't have anything else I I didn't like. Yeah, uh, pretty slim in the in the dislikes category, which is good. Uh, you know, it, it it showcased that it was a a pretty solid all round little uh, horror horror thriller. All right, well that is come play. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Podomatic, and any other all other good podcast places. Send us an email at thrillme at iinet.net.au. 
We're on Facebook at Thrill Me Podcast Australia and at Podomatic at thrillme.podomatic.com. Make sure you rate and review us on all the platforms just so we can get the word out. We're also on Instagram at thrillmepodcastau. Next episode, just keep an eye on the Facebook page for details of what we're covering. But until then, take it easy and we'll catch up with everyone later. Cheers. Find the podcast at Podomatic or on iTunes. Don't forget to rate and review. Like us on Facebook at Thrill Me Podcast Australia or contact us at Thrill Me, all one word, all lowercase, at iinet.net.au.